Hello, we are Angela Benjamin and David J. Lilly, and we are both jewellery designer makers who spend every day surrounded by shiny things. We are both passionate about jewellery and love learning all we can about jewellery making and sharing what we've learned with you. Perhaps you're a jewellery lover or creative type or spend your days at the bench like we do. Whichever it is, we hope you'll enjoy our sparkling chit-chat, our silly stories and our thoughts on living a creative and slightly dusty life. With a few laughs along the way. You can find our podcasts on all your favourite apps, including of course the biggies, Apple, Spotify and Chrome Podcasts. So if you want to know who we are and share our passion for all that glitters, then stay with us for the next 30-ish minutes. This is Ange and David with Little Gems on Jewellery and Life. Well, hello, everybody. Yes, it's David yet again. And more importantly, and more wonderfully, I am back with Dana Macris of Madam Mac Jewellery down in Melbourne, Australia. We were chatting so much and she gave such an amazing answers to all the questions. I didn't get through them all. So I'm now going to pose the rest of the questions I like to ask fellow jewellers um, and see how we go. How are you, Dana? Are you still OK? Because it was such a long time ago since we last spoke, wasn't it? <laughs> I'm doing great, David. You know me. I love a good chat. I could chat about jewellery for 12 hours straight and not get tired. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> Oh, it's a pleasure. It's lovely. So we last asked um, you the silly question, which is, you know, what kind of fruit you were. And <laughs> that was a lovely answer. And if people want to know, go and, listen, go and listen to episode one. If you haven't done, excuse me, already. <laughs> so serious question to start with then. You work on commissions. You create jewellery, bespoke jewellery for people. What's been your favourite commission to date? Can you tell us about it? Oh, I do have a few. My most favourite one was for one of my lovely clients up in the next state. She sent me two giant Keshi pearls, a black one and a white one. These things were huge. Wow. And she had said to me, you know, a lot of other jewellers can't, they're not quite sure how to bring this idea to life. Somebody is, is sending me your way because they think that you will. So I got on a call with her and we chatted for about half an hour and I said, give me your crazy ideas. I don't care how crazy you think they are. Just spill your thoughts. I've got a pen and paper. I've got your materials in front of me. Hit me with it. Um, so she basically said, I've got two pearls. I want them to kind of look like they're in a cage and I want it to look like the entire ring has just been plucked from the ocean. So we basically called this creation the Relic of the Sea. Wow. And I absolutely, well, I personally think I nailed the brief and so does the client. <laughs> <laughs> it's always a bit daunting when you're not sure if it's exactly what they're going to want because so much time goes mm -hmm. into these creations and it would just break my heart to have to sort of, you know, start again or disappoint someone. But, um, yeah, it was basically two giant Keshi pearls. They were offset against one against one another. So it kind yeah. of looked like a bypass, like upswept type of ring. Okay. And then there were these beautiful baskets just holding the pearls in. It looked like a fishing net almost. Oh, wow. And then it just trailed down into a really molten organic type of shank that had granules and some sort of ocean type texture on it, which I do by melting a little paddle paddle shaped carver and just pressing the hot tool on the wax. And um, this thing just looked incredible. And it was probably one of the pieces where I didn't actually want to send it out. 
I just didn't want to post it up. I could have kept it forever and it did fit me too. So that's that's definitely one of my favourites. Cool. And do, when, when you're working with a client like that, you said, you know, you, you fear that she was going to love it and you weren't going to have to start again. Do you send her the wax or send photos of the wax and say, look, this is what it's going to look like beforehand? Yeah. That you kind of get throughout the, you know, throughout the stages, you're getting her okay on, she loves it, or can you change yeah, it? Yeah, very much so. So when I do, I don't do a whole lot of bespoke work at the moment. Um, a lot of it's like the made to order or just my random collections. But when I do a bespoke, um, it's a very thorough process from my end. So I'll basically get their ideas. I'll create like a, a sort of like spreadsheet of what they're hoping for. And then after I've made the wax model I basically send them a multi-angle view of their design and a couple of videos of it being worn um just like a 360 type of video 360 degree video and um they get to approve the design or we can make some minor modifications right and um yeah she was thrilled with it she said let's just go ahead I love it so um yeah it was fun <laughs> cool fun. and talk, as we are talking business do you have a policy on when you're making commissions on the finances? Do you know? Do you ask for a percentage up front? Do you just expect the money at the end of it? When I first started the business, I was very casual about it. I used to just accept payment at the very end. But, um, you know, a lot of the materials cost quite the fortune to source when it comes to gemstones and metals, etc. So I pretty much, depending on what the total amount is going to be i'll take a 50 to 65 percent deposit mm. um and then once it's been cast and completed i then basically have the balance settled before it gets shipped yeah. um so yes it's important to protect yourself as a business we shouldn't ever have to be negative you know 500 or a thousand dollars before we see you know like we put in energy energy and money it's an exchange you're getting something beautiful from me so i need I need that payment to actually be able to source the materials and pay myself a little bit of my time before I even get full amount. Yeah, I totally yeah. agree. I, I always say to if people are balking at the idea, I say, well, if you're going to buy a sofa, do yeah. you pay for that afterwards or do you pay for it beforehand? You know, Exactly you know, right. Yeah, you know, and it's the same thing. You know, This isn't a sofa. It's far more beautiful than a sofa, far more individual. Oh, absolutely. So, and it's also, I mean, what I do... If I think the client's a bit iffy, if I'm not sure that they're actually going to commit, I ask them for a design fee up front because that yeah. really gets rid of the time wasters. Yeah, exactly right. I've had, I probably shouldn't say this on, you know, on international air, but um, look, I've had a lot of people who think that they can spend all of my time asking questions and they're not committing to something because they've thought that it was the perceived value to them was maybe a hundred or a hundred and fifty dollars you know you'll never get a hand fabricated chain for one hundred and fifty dollars no. it's just not possible like it takes hours and hours of things messing up you know sometimes you have to start again or repeat yep. as part of the process the same thing like when you go to the supermarket you don't pay for your goods after you've eaten them, you pay for them up front and then you go and take them and do what you need. It's no different for the creative arts. And um, first I was a little bit funny around money. Like you feel bad charging people. And the more that you get on in business, the more that you realise, hey, I'm doing this because it makes me happy and it's a job like any other job. It's it's no less worthy. You know, like in my scientific job, I'd get paid X amount of dollars a month for providing a service. Well, it's no different in the creative arts. It's no different at all. So I think a lot of people carry that guilt and the shame around pricing, but I'm like, no, we don't need to do that to ourselves. We're just no. antagonizing ourselves. 
I totally agree. And I yeah. tell people off if they're undercharging. If I know someone's selling something for too little and they, and they say, well, I'm just doing it as a hobby. That's not the point. It's not. It's not at all. It's not at all. Because then it creates, you know, the general public, a lot of people, yeah, they're more than happy to invest in something grand and something that's, you know, a bit more on the pricey side. But, um, you know, a lot of people are just out there looking for cheaper things just for where as you go or where on a weekend out. And I think the issue with hobbyists versus people trying to run businesses is that when the hobbyists flood the market and underprice everything, when consumers are shopping, they're going to naturally go for something that's on the cheaper end because everyone's, you know, being budget conscious. You know, this is just from my experience and my yeah. the things that I've observed, but it really kind of skews the market in a way. And it's very similar for costume jewellery that just gets mass produced in big factories abroad and, you know, all that shit, sorry, excuse the French, gets gold-plated and it gets sold for like $20 a unit. It's appalling. I mean, I was the same. It's because thing. a machine made it, not a human. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When I was, well, well, I still do do stained glass as well, as you know. And yes, yes. one of the things I determined it wasn't worth doing in stained glass was doing copper foil work, Tiffany work, and little kind of like light captures and things like that. Yeah. Because that's what hobbyists do. And they sell them for a tenner, which means they probably made yeah. 50p. So that, and they do it because they get fun of them. Now, it's, no, it's not worth me trying to compete and produce professional level pieces like that. And, charge yeah. and most hilarious bit is you get people who've bought Tiffany lampshades and they're not really, they're not real Tiffany lampshades. They're ones that come from China and yeah. they're made very well and they fall apart. And, you know, I used to get people saying, oh, can you repair this? And I'd say, yep, it's going to be a, you know, a minimum of 160 quid. And they said, it only cost me 110. So, well, <laughs> that's why it yeah. fell apart. You know, exactly right. Exactly right. Industry. So, yeah, I am so glad to hear what you're saying about pricing things right is really, really the ultimate goal, I think, for any professional jeweler is to make sure that they're making a living. And if you're not pricing it right, you're not going to get there, are you? Exactly right. I mean, I still struggle now. Um, you know, you're on Instagram as much as I am. You've probably seen all of these formulas that are very like plug and play and you add up all of your materials and you multiply it by two or three or four or whatever. I don't do that. So the way I currently operate at the moment is I basically have a timesheet. If I'm doing a bespoke, I basically add up the hours that it has taken me to create it. And I basically multiply that by my hourly rate. Now the hourly rate fluctuates depending on whether the design is basic or whether it's really complex and intensive mm. and then it's basically the cost of materials on top of that yeah you know if, if i went and multiplied the cost of goods by two and a half or three i'm pretty sure i wouldn't be selling anything <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure you would actually sure. you're working so you sure. I've still got a lot of work to do around the pricing as well because I know for the long run I might have to adjust a few things. But, um, you know, I think it also comes back to that issue of sterling silver. It has a low perceived value in the public eye because people yes. think it's a cheap material. Why is this bespoke ring $1,500? Well, it's that because it took me 25 hours of physical labour to do. Yeah. You know, like time is where the money is. For most of my designs. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know? Yeah. And this is what the general public 
doesn't doesn't actually stand. Which, you know, we need to educate them. And that's why I think what you're saying, what I'm saying is as professional jewellers, we should be charging what it's worth. And then the more people are exposed to that, the more they'll get to realise when they're buying quality and when they're buying something that's cheap. And talking about quality materials, you work obviously in wax predominantly. And obviously then you have it cast in whatever metal you decide or the client um, requests. But correct. have you ever thought of working in, in any other materials to make jewellery? It did cross my mind to maybe dabble with a little bit of titanium. Okay. Yeah, I kind of went on this rainbow rampage about a year ago. You know, I just love the idea of being able to anodize something and getting a beautiful film of iridescent metallic colors mm-hmm. um, onto things. But that ship kind of sailed because I was like, I really have to hone in on something right now to just get the business moving a little bit. Because I've just got poo brain, David. Like I've got a hundred thousand ideas. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a million things I want to do and want to try. But, yeah, um, okay. you know, you, you can't exactly spread yourself too thin and diversify too much because then you start to confuse people because they're like, what does she do? Is she doing this or that, you know? It's very true. And I think that for me, when I was starting my, my first collections back in, back in 2019, when I look at them, they're all very different. And therefore, the buying public can't see what my style really is. Exactly um, right. I think, you yeah. know, and the, some of those original collections, they're now in my Etsy shop so that it doesn't confuse people when they go to the website. So the website yes. is exactly the same. You know my work. Oh, absolutely. I, I feel it, it's a more cohesive whole with the different elements within it. Exactly right. I love the idea of enamel as well, but then I'd have to obviously buy a kiln and I know that I can't afford a kiln right now. So it's kind of just one of those things that's in the on the back burner at the minute. Yeah. But, um. Yeah, I think in terms of future direction, I'm really going to be working, I'm hoping to work with a lot of colour and just things that you can look at and you just feel happiness. Yes. Well, I think, to be honest, you do that already with your jewellery. It's certainly, yeah. your jewellery you. always makes me feel happy. I look oh, at it always so for joy because of the style that you have and the colours that you put in it. Yeah, it's yeah. always incredibly joyous. Thinking about the next five years, uh, you said, I don't have a plan. I'm just starting and I'm (laughs) gung-ho. Is there a plan for the next five years? (laughs) Look, I've had to get serious in the last six months and really think about where I'm, I'm headed with it all. I would absolutely love to expand the wax carving school for all of the rebels. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would be great to just have a slightly bigger space. I mean, it's not a tiny area. I've got two student benches and I could possibly get a third in here. But um, I think in terms of scaling, I would love to just expand the, you know, the workshops a little bit more, perhaps think about diversifying the types of workshops and also bringing, you know, the offer to the table of maybe just like one-on-one bespoke type of workshops where someone brings their own idea in and we work intensely in like four or five hour blocks to basically complete their design. So that's it with the workshops, the jewellery. I'm kind of just all over the place because I'm just full of all sorts of ideas. But um, I really do want to hone in on a particular style and kind of just expand into more cohesive collections. Now, the ultimate goal I don't like living in the city. I just hate it. I hate being around chaos all the time. Ultimately, I would be doing this somewhere in the countryside Mm. and perhaps have like an artist's retreat 
or some type of ranch where people can come and have like an Airbnb slash wax carving experience. Um, so that's, I don't know whether that'll happen in five years. <laughs> it's a bit optimistic. I don't know. Never say never. You just, I'm never going to say never, but I also have to just keep it real as well. It's funny because people look at the Instagram and they're like, oh, she must be famous. She must be doing so well. She must be booked out for 700 days in advance. But that's not the reality. I'm here to tell you that it's 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 not like that at all. You know, I have quiet months and then I have busy months, and that's okay. You kind of just have to have to roll with it. Mm-hmm. So I do. I've got I've got the bigger vision, but I also have to be realistic as well, and then pull myself back in and deal with what's in front of me right now. <laughs> so, what do you think is unique about you and your skills that has allowed you to to take an idea as a hobby and make it into what is clearly a successful and like every small business it has ups and downs but successful business you know it's funny I I don't think any of the skills are necessarily unique I haven't reinvented the wheel in any way but I think for me it's just that fierce dedication and just that unapologetic attitude of I can do this I'm going to teach myself how to do it having the scientific background people always say to me like how exactly did you go from science to jewelry because it's so extremely different but the skills that I learned in science are actually very transferable to what I'm doing so I think I have an advantage in that regard because I love my standard operating procedures and I love having instruction manuals and I'm a researcher at heart so if I don't know how to do something I will search for hours on end through books google to try and find that answer and for me that's what actually keeps the fire alive basically what I'm trying to say is a lot of people back out too soon Mm-hmm. They don't give themselves the opportunity to, to keep going because it's too hard or they haven't got the resources. But, um, yeah, look, to answer your question, I, I don't think any of my skills are unique. Nothing's new here. You know, wax carving is wax carving. It really is just a matter of what you do with it and what you learn and how tenacious you are in getting something done or chasing that dream or that design. So, um, yeah, I guess what sort of just sets me apart is just how unapologetic I really am. (laughs) Brilliant. Yes, you're very tenacious, aren't you? That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, I just woke up and I said, I have a dream and fuck, I'm going to do it. Let's do it. (laughs) Yeah, brilliant. So we we can see from how we see you, Instagram, for example, you know, that you are very good at certain things. But what's Dana not good at? Oh, my gosh. There are so many things. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm not good at trying to figure out what I should do first. Sometimes I get into a real panic when there's a lot going on. But the way that I circumvent that feeling of internal chaos is I basically have to chart everything up on a weekly planner and basically give myself a to-do list for every single day. And then that way I can stay on top of my thoughts and my, you know, all of the chaos that happens up in that in that noggin. But um, what am I not good at? I wouldn't say I'm not good at it, but I would love to be a little bit better at soldering and fabrication. Everybody um, says soldering. <laughs> you know, I've got to really be in the mood. I want to love it more, mm-hmm. but I find that with playing with fire, um, you know, I really have to be in the mood and be uninterrupted by any external stimulus on the social media scroll to actually get it done. I think I'd love to 
be a little bit better at casting and assembling things or maybe getting into mixed metals and just sort of broadening the horizon in that way. I never used to be good at taking a break either. Uh, I pretty much just went full steam ahead and ended up in severe burnout on multiple occasions. Mm. So, yeah, it's really tricky because you feel like it's your baby and you have to put everything into it, but at the same time you're actually killing yourself. So I've had to get better at learning to take a break and telling myself that it's actually okay to you're still a creative even when you're asleep or having a day off or a week off so yeah that pretty much sums it up like you know in a lifestyle slash technical type of way brilliant thank you yeah so do you do your own casting i do not i wish i could i just haven't got the i haven't obviously learned the skills yet and um, haven't quite got the cash flow for all of that expensive, fancy equipment. Oh, yeah. Um, now, I, I I do all of my carving and I do all of the finishing and polishing and most of the stone setting in-house. But the casting gets outsourced to a wonderful third party here in Melbourne, Australia. I actually was a client of theirs for several years when I was just dabbling in wax carving and casting. And um, I actually ended up being offered a position with them. And I was with them for a year in 2021 wow. as one of their wax technicians. Um, so I didn't get to the casting room. I saw the casting room, but didn't get to cast. Uh, but I got to basically sprue everything up, tree everything up, and then just manage like all of the order tickets and stuff like that. And okay. it was the best year, best year ever. It was just so eye-opening to have that that experience. And that's created that opportunity. It didn't just come my way. They saw oh. my Instagram and they were like, hey, man, she's she's got it going on. Like, we'd love to have her on board. So... <laughs> Fantastic. Well done. That's it's been awesome. Wild. Yeah, that it has. So what advice would you give someone who's starting out and thinking they want to be a jeweler or just starting their jewelry journey? My first bit of advice would be to not listen to a lot of the rubbish that's out there regarding marketing and you know all those big you know academies where you pay like fifteen, twenty thousand dollars and they basically give you like a plan for moving on. I think it's just important to trust your gut, have a forecast for your current financial situation as well, have the awareness of what it takes to run a business, but to also not feel like you have to know everything before you start, because it's impossible to know everything before you get started. I find a lot of people that, that I speak with just coming through the studio, they are kind of just waiting to sort of know what they're doing before they get started. And there's no right time or good time to start a business. And if that's what people want to do, you need to kind of just dive in and just learn through experience. I'm basically learning on the job. Nobody taught me how to do anything. I'm just doing it as I go. I didn't even know how to make an invoice three years ago. A lot of it is just, you just have to have the grit to be able to accept that not everything's going to be perfect. Yeah. Right. So that's the most important message I would say to people. But from a creative perspective, I would just say, make what makes you happy and you'll find the people that resonate with what you do. Fabulous. Thank you. So thinking about when you're in the studio and you're kind of getting into the zone, is your studio dead quiet? Do you listen to music, podcasts? <laughs> How do you get into the, I... the Madame Mac zone? <laughs> so a lot of the times... I'll basically start the morning off by having a shower and getting all fresh. And then I pop my robe on in winter and I come in here for the day if I haven't got guests. I basically like to work in complete silence. And there's a good reason for that. It's because when I did have music on, 
my favourite tune would happen to come on, I would basically just get up from the bench and start dancing. So I was finding that it was a real, <laughs> it was actually a real distraction. Um, so pretty much dead silence. Uh, I love having like a little cup of coffee or a tea on the side and I just get in the zone. And um, it's so weird because I live in the heart of suburbia. It's a very built-up sort of area. And the studio itself is basically half of a double-car garage. But I've plastered it up. It's got a wall and a ceiling. So it's a, its own contained room, but it's actually silent outside as well. You can't hear anything when you're in here. And um, I really love that. I really, really love that. Cool. It's like I'm away from home, but I'm actually home. Yeah. <laughs> so, the fridge is next door still kind of thing. That's Pretty fun. much. The cookie jar's full as well, so. Oh, well done. I'm coming around. <laughs> yeah, you should. You know what? You're welcome. If you ever come to the, the land down under, I would love to have you. We can have well, a wax carving extravaganza. <laughs> I could not come without visiting you. Let's face it. That would be so rude and impossible. Oh. I would be so sad if you didn't. I would expect you to. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll come, and, I'll come and annoy you. Perfect. <laughs> I love it. What are you doing there? What's this for? That's it. Yeah. There's an argument, a, a discussion, shall we say, that's been going on for more years than I know about when it comes to jewellery, especially when jewellery making changed after the Second World War. Do you, do you feel your work is fine jewellery, contemporary jewellery, Art, jewelry. Where do you feel you sit in this maelstrom of kind of jewelry types? I would probably. I'm actually inclined to say I'm more of just art experimental jewelry. So a lot of my stuff is. I definitely wouldn't consider it fine jewelry. Yeah, I'm kind of not at that point yet. Like I'm still working with sterling silver a lot of the time because it's it's affordable for me to do so, and it also gives me the capacity to be a bit more experimental and if something goes wrong you're not going to end up trying basically yeah I'd probably say I'm more art experimental just weird whimsical type of stuff yeah I like that answer I think that's a good one I think it really fits your style as well especially yeah I think that's a really good word for your and it's funny because when I make my one-off pieces you can line them up and you can tell Madame Mac did it but they all look so different from one to the next Mm mm-hmm like there's not one piece of jewellery that kind of looks the same unless I've done like a mini collection or it's a made-to-order type of item that's kind of just push-and-repeat type of thing. Yeah, yeah. 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 So you're big on Instagram. You've got a huge following on Instagram. Who, who, <laughs> who do you follow in, on Instagram that inspires you, that you like to look at? So I, you'll notice most of the people I follow are actually jewellers as well. Mm-hmm. So I love following some of the big jewellery academies because they're always sharing tips and knowledge. Um, so I love Jess of the London Jewellery School, uh, Lucy Walker of the Metalsmiths Academy. I'm also getting into, um, I haven't done anything with it, of course, but um, I love the idea of engraving and all of those beautiful bright cuts and stone setting. Um, there's a few big players in, in that realm. Barnard Fine Setting, he's right up there. He's incredible. He has an online yeah. school. Um, Ian, yeah, he shares all of his knowledge with people. Artists. Uh, so I do have a few favourite artists. One of my favourites is Saf Brooks. He he goes by Inward Spectrum on Instagram. Okay. He is, I'm not sure if you're aware of him. He's over oh. in the US, currently in Connecticut. He's one of the resident artists at a gallery over there. He is just fucking wild, if I have to be honest. Everything he makes, it's kind of alien, extraterrestrial inspired. 
and oh. it's so funny because every time he posts every time he posts something new it can look like a million different things to everybody it's just it's very open to interpretation he works with very fine materials but his designs are chunky they're bold they're out there they're out there i absolutely adore uh, his work and if i could own anything right now from anybody it would be from his collection <laughs> there's a look. few things i'm obsessed with um <laughs> and also i'm not very much of an engagement ring type of person like i just don't do fine jewelry but the one person who really stands out to me is nolan sponsler he's huge in the engagement ring field and in fine jewelry he, the play of colors that he uses he does a lot of ombre he has you know precision cut gems he facets he actually fabricates as well he just does a lot of everything, which is just beautiful. You have to check him out. And then also Charlie of Exclusive Art. Okay. He does huge statement pieces and every piece is one of a kind and it's just out there. It's really out there. You have to see it to believe it, but he uses incredible quality high-end gems. And yeah, he digitally sculpts most of his designs and he just comes up with some of the most wicked, elaborate aesthetic over there. So they're, they're the three that really stand out to me. Brilliant. And they're all so very different, but the one thing they have in common is that they just think outside of the box and everything mm -hmm. they do is just perfect. Excellent. Thank you for those. There's well, many more, but too many. Of course. Yeah, of course. So... Kind of, we're getting to the end of kind of episode two with Madam Mac. So, where <laughs> can listeners find you online? And for the ones who are in Australia, where can they find you physically? Yep. So, physically, I am located in the leafy eastern suburbs of Bulleen in Victoria. So, it's just on the outskirts of Melbourne, probably about a 20 minute drive from the um, CBD. Okay. Uh, so I've got my little studio here. I don't have any stockists who have any of my work in their cabinets or anything. I'm not at that point yet. Um, but if you wanted to check me out online, it's www.madammacjewelry.com. And I also have Instagram. I hate saying the Instagram handle because it's got a dot. It's got a full stop and an underscore. But it's madam.mac__jewelry. And that will link you to all of my other um, channels as well. Fabulous. And I'll put a link in the show notes as well. So they have all the spellings for all this and they can find you. It has wonderful. been wonderful talking with you. I've so enjoyed it. I've had such a laugh as well. Me too, David. And we haven't even spoken about you, but I guess that's not the idea of the podcast. No, no it's all about you. It's all about you. <laughs> I hope I answered all of your questions. I loved the answers and I'm sure our listeners. Excellent. Too. Yeah. I so hope so too. You so much it's been wonderful and i look forward to seeing you online soon and you know when i'll get down to australia one time or you'll have to, you'll have to come to canada yes i would love to it looks like a beautiful place i do have a few friends over there as well so i might have to make an all-around trip there you go <laughs> sorted fabulous right, you take care lots of love thank you david take care and we'll chat soon will do bye-bye bye thank you for listening we hope you enjoyed the episode and come back to us in another couple of weeks for the next one. In the meantime, also thanks to Alfie Amadeus for the amazing track of Topi, which has our theme music. See you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>